No, I've never served in the military, but as a Star Trek fan, I completely understand the dichotomy going on there. <laughs> Almost as good. <Yeah. laughs> I've watched so much Star Trek, I have flashbacks. I hear that when you go sign up into the military, they're like, do you watch Star Trek? You don't have to do this. Yeah. You skip like three years of training right there. <laughs> That's what I hear. Gads, it's another episode of Full Metal Analysts. Welcome to our show where free writers analyze each and every episode of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I'm Michelle. I'm Arthur. And I'm Mike. And with us today, we have a science fiction and fantasy writer whose work has been featured in Uncanny Magazine, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and many other outlets. And you can also listen to him in Potside Picnic's Crap Book series. It's really, really fun. We totally recommend it. Please welcome to the show, Carlo Diego Rodriguez. How are you doing, Carlo? I'm doing all right, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for coming. As always, we started off with that immortal question, which is... When did you first watch Full Metal Alchemist? Well, you know, I think I saw the original anime uh, mm -hmm. probably whenever it was showing up on Adult Swim. So it was interesting. It wasn't very long. I think it probably was only the first maybe 10 episodes or so because it's like super long, right? Yeah, it's 52 episodes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's a job. Eventually, I, I must have just dropped off of the original one and um watching this uh new one which is Brotherhood. Well, you know, it's, it seems a lot more um lighthearted or it has like much more uh levity to it than I was remembering. And I was like, "Wait, which am I watching the right one?" <laughs> you're not the first one to say that uh last week's guest kurt schiller he also said that and i think it's it's kind of like a like a curse because now i've started noticing how many jokes there are in the episode and i'm like we could have not used that joke we could have not used that joke and it's kind of <laughs> i started to notice it a lot i like it <laughs> it's not like it doesn't work but it, there are moments where i'm like can we be a little bit serious now you know like yeah, I do feel that. I think in this episode, there's one moment where I was like, they could have given that weight. But... Yeah. <laughs> what was that moment? I want to know what that moment was. Was it the moment when Ross is deciding on whether or not to escape prison? No, but that's a good example. I, I felt that moment. It's when Armstrong embraces uh, Edward and says, no, this automail, and it's like little hearts going on in the background. Yeah, no, that was it. It's played as like this very funny, like, ho, oh, what's this big man up to? But I was left kind of worrying from the perspective of Winry and Al. This is the first time we've seen Ed and Al be separated at all. Mm, yeah. And and in this, in, from what I am gathering from this culture or this um, organization, uh, military, uh, he's getting renditioned. I mean, he could have been renditioned, basically. So it, mm -hmm. it's... It weirdly undercuts the, the drama of it, I, th I feel. But anyway. Yeah, his inner turmoil, you know, is at stake. And here he is harding around, you know. In general, I like the jokes. There are a few times where it does feel like it steps on something. But the jokes seem fairly distinct from the drama moments in a way that I think is fine for a smooth ADD brain. <laughs> which is like happy to jump from emotion to emotion second by second but as long as they're distinct it's when they get kind of mixed together and muddled that that i think it becomes an issue is this the first episode we see ed's placing in the military used as a plot point mustang is like remember your superiors and like he's being reditioned it's like this is the first episode where we remember oh yeah right ed is in the military i think you're right yes he's got like free reign 
I've been in the military. It sucks ass. It is boring. It is generally not quite as exciting as uh, whatever Edward's doing. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how smart or how talented you are. You end up like, you know, mucking out toilets and, and doing just grunt work, basically. You're absolutely right. It does feel like he's sort of like this free agent, a freelance military. And you're like, no, that's that's not right. Doesn't quite ring true to your experience. Yeah, you know, to be fair, that's sort of uh, my experience with a lot of uh, stories that try to integrate that. I hear when you're a kid in the military, they just give you a huge budget and let you go find yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> right. I'm just imagining like some lowly like supply tech going like, okay, so uh, we're gonna file this uh, expenditure under oh, it checks a box, Campbellian hero's journey type. <laughs> oh, I see you've itemized it as uh, the herald. <laughs> Sir, he's denying the call. (laughs) (laughs) He's refusing the call, sir. We have a problem. Just keep asking him. Just keep calling him. (laughs) In refusing the call, soldier, you are now AWOL. (laughs) (laughs) You figure out at the end of the day, those soldiers that take care of that, they go, let's get onto the fun and games. (laughs) Yeah, no, because... This is not a Blake Snyder version. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait, we're, we are inside baseball. <laughs> I do have something to say on the military, but before we continue, we have to do something really important, and that is our improvised 21-second recap. This is the moment in the podcast where one of us will do an, of course, improvised 21-second recap. Whoever that person is will be chosen by the roll of a dice. If it lands on one, it's me. If it lands on two, it's Arthur. If it lands on three, it's Mike. If it lands on four, it's our guest, Carlo. Let's roll the dice. One. Again. No one has done this more than you. Have you realized? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe you should start picking a different number. Okay, are you ready? I am ready. In three, two... One. Lieutenant Bross gets arrested, and everyone hears about it, and everyone's like, what's going on? Then Barry the Chopper breaks Lieutenant Ross out of prison, and it seems like they're going to finally get away. He also breaks Ling out of prison, but suddenly Lieutenant Ross runs into Roy Mustang, and Roy Mustang burns her alive, and everyone's like, Roy, how could you have done that? You are a crazy man, and he's like, eh, I'm going to go out with a girl to the beach, to fishing, and, and then, <laughs> well, that's kind of what happens, right? I- I'm just missing the part where Ed gets dragged to some random mission in Rinzabu. Yeah, no, that was pretty good. Yeah, we pick up on Ling now. See, he's here. He's in prison. Right. So Ling Ling escapes with Barry the Chopper. But I think it's important to note that if they believed that he wasn't a minor, they wouldn't have held him in prison. So a mistress doesn't believe in locking up illegal immigrant children. Did they imply that they would have that's, let him go yeah. if he that's, was 15? I, that's, my, that's what I suppose. I think they would just have kept him locked <laughs> you up. You can believe what you want to believe, Mike. Uh, I just want to believe. <laughs> I want to believe deny the harsh reality i I was just going to point out something which um i I was just re-watching it right before coming on and uh it seemed odd the first time and i I re-watched it just to make sure and i was like well okay so do none of these people carry a regulation sidearm because like (laughs) if if everyone has a 45 caliber sidearm anyone could have been the 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 suspect and not just uh, maria ross right hers was missing a bullet which i guess is what they latched on to but yeah you have a good point they make it pretty clear that they're botching this investigation on purpose 
like right after that scene is when Lieutenant Brosh comes in and is like, if they just check my report, they would see that I'm corroborating everything she says. But I, I also think that this is probably one of the better, uh, apart from minor nitpicks, uh, it does show like a an organization that uh, it gives me a sense of an organization that is bigger than what we've seen so far. Yeah. Armstrong has somebody that's giving him intel. And Armstrong knows, but he can't let anyone else in on it for whatever reason. Uh, so he's obviously like hiding his cards. Everyone's being very cagey about uh, the entire incident. There's a lot of stuff that happens that you're supposed to fill in when Ross runs down that alleyway. You think, oh, she's going to get away. Okay. So, you know, Barry the Chopper, weirdly for a serial killer, is very helpful. When she runs into Mustang, it cuts back to the alleyway with the Ulrich brothers, just, you know, like seeing the explosion from the distance. So you're supposed to obviously imagine that that's, you know, that obviously Maria Ross was just carbonized immediately. <laughs> they wouldn't have, they wouldn't show it. <laughs> well, well, no, no, I, I mean... <laughs> There's an old description of a comic book strip where it's three panels and it shows like a guy stalking into a room. There's a lady that you know, like wakes up out of her bed as he raises the knife. And then the third panel is just a long shot of the building or whatever. And you see a arg or whatever. And, you know, at that point, you, the reader, have become the person who murdered that person because you're in the implication is there. But you're the one that says, oh, she's dead. Like Psycho. Mm. You never see her stab him in Psycho, but you feel, you almost swear you did see it. <laughs> it's using cinema language, I guess. Show the preparation for the strike, cut away to a reaction shot. And I think a lot of times that is out of a desire not to show a gory thing. But you can kind of use that to... Oh my god, is she alive? Hmm? Who? She's alive. Ross dies halfway through the episode. And then the rest of the episode I would describe as something's going on here. <laughs> oh, for sure. One of the moments they do this, and they do this very subtly, is when the doctor comes out of the room and he's like, yeah, that is Maria Ross. And you just kind of reveal that Roy has been sitting there all the time and you haven't really seen him. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of colors the whole exchange they've had so far where it's like, oh, shit, like Roy has just been sitting here waiting to see, like, can I get a confirmed kill? Is was Did I really off Maria Ross? Or did he pay the doctor off? Dun, dun, Mike, dun. what are you talking about? What if he didn't kill her? What if he is like pulling her away because he knows that she's like of interest in some way because she's being removed by whatever he's like playing four dimensional <laughs> oh, chess against? You're going to eat so many bugs. Is that your <laughs> prediction? <laughs> he has to eat bugs whenever he's wrong. <laughs> I have a question for you, Michelle and Arthur. You both talk a lot about how when you watched this when you were younger, you had like a different opinion of Roy Mustang, and now you see him as a war criminal this time around, you know? This is a recurrent theme that has been brought up. I want to know, how did you square this episode in your head when you were a kid and watched it? Or was this the first time you were like, whoa, maybe Roy isn't great? I don't know. I don't remember. I can't give you an exact answer. I remember. Before I had not realized that Roy was a war criminal and then when i got to this point of the show i really hated him a lot <laughs> <laughs> the last episodes have done like they have worked over time to make you hate roy this is why they were doing that they were preparing you for this moment we need to believe that roy would actually stoop himself to this level in this episode specifically he is 
again portrayed like almost distantly you don't get a lot of emotion what little emotion you get is weirdly when he um has that phone call yeah it's weirdly creepy because then you're realizing oh this is like completely an act and he can put that on or take that off at any time like yeah. who who is he exactly the part where the coroner comes out and tells him you know like by by the dental records that was maria ross are you satisfied with yourself colonel mustang and whatnot and he doesn't really he doesn't flinch he doesn't have like an expression he's drawn in a way that's not very emotive to begin with mm-hmm. and, but this one they really really went out of their way to just make him just very stone-faced he was a cold flame you might say Oh. You might say that. I I wonder if it was like the way they had the shadows in his face or the eyebrows and the lips, but there was something about him, his face, where you could believe that in the moment when Ed rushes towards Roy, you could totally believe that if they had actually started fighting, Roy would have hurt Ed. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's very simple. It's that, um, oh, what's that, uh, that book, the famous one, uh, How to Draw Comic Books or whatever? where the the ideal is to have like a very blank face. Oh right, Scott McCloud, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Generally speaking, if you're trying to invite the reader into the the story, the blank face then becomes more of a self-insert character. You know, you're able to project yeah. yourself into the character. Uh here, however, it's used it's sort of that same thing but subverted. Like he's drawn very like no no expression, no movement in the face. Um, I think the only times that he has movement is when he squints his eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might have uh, actually animated it so that his eyes look even like more squinty, like very Clint Eastwood type, and then no other emotions. You know, that's the first time that we've seen him use his powers not in flashback, his alchemy, right. He all he tried to use it to stop Scar, but it was raining, and he murdered somebody with it. It's it shocked the hell out of me. I want you to know, like I did not see it coming. It it shocked me. I was really upset. I'm still processing it. <laughs> <laughs> initially, I have to say that initially I was like, I I sort of watched and I was like, uh, I don't know if this would if anyone could pull off, you know, like doing this. And then I watched it again and I was like, really, it's it's quite simple what what is done. Like like the machinations aren't quite that complex uh, on their face. I think the key to that is a character we don't we don't even know his name actually. It's the guy who's interrogating Ross. I mean we know his name because he shows up in the interstitial, but like they don't I don't know if they actually say his name, but that guy, Henry Douglas. Yeah, what a random guy that that guy is. <laughs> because we don't see him, like, talking to the homunculus, because we don't see him like, oh, I'm part of this plot, but he's totally, absolutely buying the fact that Ross killed Hughes. It's unclear if he's part of the conspiracy against Ross or is being fed, you know, a diet of false evidence. He doesn't have to be. Right. That's the thing. Right. He doesn't have to be part of the conspiracy mainly because the structure of the organization itself being so secretive and like the stuff that's been discovered beforehand lets you know that not everything is on the up and up. Foolish humans are so easy to manipulate. So Carl, you have military experience, you know, in your past. Mm -hmm. And the military was a big 
theme coming up here, and I'm curious to know what your take is on the we always follow orders, you never question them. I would say that depending on where where you fall on the on the chain of command, that is pretty true. I think that at higher rankings, you you do get a little bit of wiggle room, but then it becomes a question of do you want to expend that political capital that you have that comes with your rank on doing something that goes counter to orders or like standing up for things. And generally speaking, if you have come up through the ranks, you've already had parts of that uh, individual individuality, maybe, maybe not stripped off, but definitely sanded down, so mm-hmm. that you're you're a little bit resistant to go against the grain. Actually, I have a question. I don't think we can actually get an answer because this is a topic the show is absolutely not that interested on. Is a mistress a fascist nation? Yes. Yeah, yes, but totally. but we don't see. I don't think we see enough. It is to absolutely make that a fascist. No, I don't think we make I, it. No, I don't think we see enough of the people to make that decision. I think the issue here is, and and it's. I think it's the same issue that like Alan Moore talked about, like in Watchmen, where the individual actors in Watchmen are not fascists, but they operate in a fascist society, which then causes them to act in in a fascistic manner. Um, right. The issue here is that you know. Uh, as we know in the U.S., uh, where we're barreling that in that direction, for a lot of people, it's just sort of just another day. It's just sort of boring. You know, it, there's a lot going on, but it's never near you. And to be honest with you, you don't want exciting stuff going on near you either. I punch in, punch out. You know, my day has not been sort of changed other than that due to all this stuff that's going on. But I don't have any doubt in my mind that we are currently, you know, sort of, yeah, teetering towards fascism. And that's, it's so boring and banal. Every day of my life seems very similar to the other. They did an ethnic cleansing, like, a few years ago. There is that. I don't know, Actually, I don't you know, know how much more I, I, fascism you want. I stand corrected. It is, uh, they're ultra-nationalistic. They have wars going on to the north, west, and east forcible suppression of all internal opposition strong regimentation they're like very much a military-based society controlled by one fascistic leader who is called the fuhrer <laughs> but, but do they want to go back to an earlier mythical time when I, don't think, mess- I don't think it matters i think we can play the <laughs> michelle is wrong theme we can play it now wrong 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 you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I've been waiting for that. Yeah. Honestly, I, I understand where you're coming from because it, you're absolutely right. The show doesn't seem to want to, and this may be due to constraints on, you know, would this show sell or would this manga sell or whatever. The show doesn't want to deal with that. This is a way to do it. You just concentrate on the military and how they operate. Right. Maybe there's some context clues, like, you know, they, they tried to eliminate all the Ishvalans and whatnot. But, you know, if you miss it, you miss it. And just to complicate it, this anime is coming out of a country that has certainly flirted with fascism and extreme nationalism uh, in the past. As a Brazilian, oh wait, we, we were fascists in the 40s. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> we all... Hard to escape, nope. yep. 
Barry the Chopper says, I wish I were allowed to kill people. This would be a lot easier if I were allowed to kill people. And and his own caretaker didn't know that he was being sent out to go do this stuff, which means somebody did know. And I assume it was Colonel Mustard. To that, I, did you say Colonel Mustard? <laughs> Colonel Mustard. Colonel, it was Colonel Mustard in the alley <laughs> with the flame alchemy. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> to that, I say, Mike... Do you know what time it is? It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Mikey at the Bat! This is the moment in the podcast where Mike has to guess what happens in the next episode based only on the title and the thumbnail. And here it is. The title of this next episode is The Arrogant Palm of a Small Human. Oh! Mike, could you please describe the thumbnail for us? Yes, it looks like Ed, and he's holding his hands up, and someone's like, "Hey, you there!" And he's like, "Oh, good. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't bother me. I'm just writing a small poem or, or an arrogant oh, a palm, a palm. Wait, he has hands. No, that's a glove. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the arrogant palm is going to refer to Colonel Mustang's." palm alchemy glove and it's going to be a coup episode because now that he's gotten everybody out of the way he's going to do a big coup and 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 try to take down the fuhrer and he's going to fail and get killed because we don't need him anymore we don't like him anymore he's done something and it's bad and it's going to be okay narratively to let him go now uh ed meanwhile will be home and colonel uh, major armstrong is going to be like on the train he's going to be like Okay, bro, I totally know that she did not kill Hughes. I know that she didn't. And this is all screwed up. And he's going to have, he's going to loop Ed in into a plot to stop Colonel Mustang or to do, or to observe or to do something different than they expect. That's what I think. All right. That's a good guess. So now let's get to grading the episode, giving it a number of stars out of five. I'm going to get started. I'm going to give this a solid 4.5. I thought this episode was great. Apart from the really weird ending that just kind of took away a lot of the energy that the episode was going for. I thought this episode that we talked about, it was a great example of directing, of writing, of everything. And it was just really well done. I really liked it. I think I have the advantage of having seen the show before. So I'm going to give it a solid 4 as a standalone episode. And I would bump that up like i can really see the impressive things they're doing with all the chess pieces moving around i thought i was going to give it a three but based off of hearing some of your arguments and realizing that i was really moved by the death scene and the way it was executed and also hearing that you know like clearly i was on to something earlier when i was like what about this and everyone's like yeah moving on so maybe there is something deeper at play, a truth behind the truth, if you will. I'm going to go ahead and give it a four on fate. You know what? I think I'm going to go with you, Michelle. Uh, I'm going to give it a 4.5. Woo! Um, even as a standalone, I think it's super well done. This one, however, it sort of stand stood out for me. It feels like a, like a turning point. You know, like big things are, are going to start moving after this point. So yeah, 4.5 from me. I just enjoyed the closely kept secrets and the way that things are shot and sort of like the tight control of information for the viewer. Something that I've noticed from editing all these episodes is that 
every episode so far has felt like this is a big moment. Like big things are going to happen for me. And it just keeps going. <laughs> no, but, but like that is actually something the show does really well. You know, like every episode feels like it exists for a reason. That is true. And now it's time for... What did we learn? Today's lesson from this episode is about food safety. When incinerating political ponds, the ideal cooking temperature for Maria Ross is 300 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) Oh my God. And that is my lesson. Oh my God. Otherwise you're going to end up with something a little hard to identify, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You're you're going to, you're going to end up with Maria raw. Oh, okay. (laughs) Gross. And if you don't want to end up like Maria Ross, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FM Analyst. That's FM Analyst on Twitter. We will incinerate you. (laughs) Subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to thank Carlo so much for coming. Thank you, Carlo. It was a blast having you here with us on the show. Where can everyone find your work? It was a blast have been invited on. Um, I have a website called alineofink.com. Uh, my most recent fiction, which is long, it's a novelette, can be found at these ceaseless skies. It's called As the Short of the Tides, So Blood Calls to Blood. And you can find me on Twitter at, at KJY1066. Thank you so much again for coming. Yeah, that was great meeting you. It's been great. That'll be all for now, everyone. We'll see you next time on Full Metal Analysts. Until then, stay toasty. See, I didn't say stay frosty because somebody was burning alive this time. So I oh, said stay toasty. Uh, I see what you did there. Please keep watching. I know exactly what episode I want to have you back on. I thought we were almost done. I thought it was almost over. No, we're we're a third of the way there. Oh my god, I gotta change my prediction. It's no good. Your your prediction of the end of the world uh, in the next episode was a little off.